essentially had hospital duration so short that it was almost illogical that we were able to 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 impact that but also the the these outcomes were sort of influenced by so many other factors it wasn't in any way a a, a clear algorithm that said you know discharge on day seven if a b and z it was much more fluent and it became difficult to kind of link those dots together to say okay we could improve muscle strength prior to surgery therefore potentially after surgery and therefore a quicker discharge um, because it could be a matter of whether or not you go home on a friday or a monday and that would be three days uh, that could all of a sudden sort of twist twist that entire uh, analysis quite quite substantially It has been so long since I've done one of these that I had to relearn how to edit a podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Podcast, or welcome to the show if this is your first time tuning in. My name is Kieran Fairman. I'm the host of this show, and we've got a great episode lined up with Jesper Christensen, who is a researcher at Copenhagen University Hospital, doing some really great work in the role or in the space of prehabilitation in gastroesophageal cancer. So Jesper's doing one of the largest trials of its kind in this space with over 300 participants. And he's got some really cool perspectives on some of the challenges of working in this space, what we need to consider when we're thinking about outcomes and what we're measuring, particularly things like hospital stay. So he's got some really cool perspective, both practically from running a trial and then some broader perspectives of the role of prehabilitation. So it's gonna be a great episode. Before we jump into that, I should address uh, the absence in in episodes over the past year or so and, and the inconsistency in particular. I had to step away from the podcast for a few different reasons, one of which was was my own mental health. Started to feel a lot of pressure to to kind of put out content regularly and trying to do that on top of my my normal job as a as a postdoc and trying to <laughs> conduct my research at a high level and also try and get this stuff out at the the quality I wanted was just getting really, really difficult. So you know, I had to step back from it for a while. I was able to bounce off a few really good people in my circle and, and even just hearing from you a lot of, of people reaching out to me and asking me what's up with the podcast, asking me where it was, when it was coming back. It's something that I didn't appreciate while I was doing it. And it, it's something that I only realized once I stopped doing it of, of how many people actually did listen to it and got value out of that. So I appreciate you for checking in on me and asking me, was he okay? Is the podcast coming back? Because that's given me my passion back for it. I'm back, I'm feeling energized. We've got a rake of episodes recorded. So when I say we're going to be doing more consistent programming, they're all booked up. Unlike last year, I was just trying to keep my head above water. So we have two seasons of 10 episodes coming up. So we've got 20 episodes at least off the bat. And that's kind of going to be the format moving forward. But I'm back, I'm feeling good and energized. And this is going to be a great episode of Jesper. It's the first part of a two series conversation with Jesper where we're talking about all things related to exercise and cancer and, and research in this space. So I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for giving me my passion back and we'll catch you in the next episode. I'm delighted we can finally do this. I know I've been hounding you for what seems like almost a year now to try and get you on this. So I know you're a busy man. I really appreciate you jumping on and, and your perspective on, on a few things we're going to talk about today in one kind of prehabilitation and its role in, in the field of exercise oncology, but also kind of the state of our field in general, you know, what we can do to, to really push our field forward and, and make improvements in how we're designing and, and conducting our studies. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I'm happy to be here. So before we jump into, you know, the full episode, let's chat a little bit about, you know, uh, who you are, what your background is and, and what you're up to now. So, uh, so yeah, so I've been working in the field of, of exercise and cancer for more than 10 years now. Um, and uh, my background is in exercise physiology. Um, and my, my way into this field, as I guess sometimes often is the case, uh, was a bit of a coincidence, actually. I was finishing my master's degree in exercise physiology at the University of Copenhagen, very much focused on sort of more traditional training physiology, developing exercise um, programs more for, you know, countering fatigue development and and 
injury prevention and stuff like that in 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 sports and in uh, athletes really uh and actually around when when i was about to finish that uh pretty much came to the conclusions that i could not see myself do that for for the rest of my life um so so i was actually came close to never really finishing that and that was back in the end of, of 2008 uh, and very seriously considered at the time dropping exercise physiology altogether and pursuing, uh, I had done at that point a, a year and a half of a university degree within mathematics and statistics and, and, and going in that direction. Um, it was actually just a couple of weeks before I was meant to hand in my thesis that I uh, saw a job advertisement with um, the Copenhagen Body and Cancer Program, uh, working particularly with Julie Midgard and Lisa Adamson, um, who were looking for for a research assistant with within this uh, within this field. Yeah, I had literally at that point never considered going in a direction with anything related to health or or uh, medicine. Um, and certainly not cancer. Uh, I wouldn't say I'd never seen a cancer patient before. I probably had, but but I certainly never considered it as as a career path. Um, so it's just one of those things where where the opportunity sort of arose, and and I was able to 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 jump on board then, uh, and I was simply just hooked straight away. Um, so I worked with uh, with particularly Julie for uh, for about two years as a research assistant, uh, where I was fortunate to also be be able to to sort of on the side design a study that would become my my PhD. Um, and we're luckily to, to to secure funding for that, uh, and and the and, and so did my my PhD as as part of uh, of, of that group. Um, and yeah, so so from there, um, essentially just got got more and more interested in this developing field, um, how how exercise in so many different ways could be beneficial uh, in the setting of cancer, and also fascinated by at least when I started, had the feeling that the, the role of exercise physiology really has, hadn't at that time uh, grown sufficiently into these, to these programs and projects around the world. So, so I really felt there was, there was something that, that, that could be done there. And, and obviously, uh, both at the time and, and since then, a lot of, of, of very uh, excellent uh, Exercise physiologists has has started or were already working in that field or in this field, and uh, and and I think it's come a long way since then. Um, so yeah, from uh, from doing my my, my PhD with uh, with the, the the body and cancer group, um, I finished that in 2014, and uh, had come in uh, touch with. Uh, Hanila Hoyman, who was the group leader um, at uh, what has since been called the, the Center for Physical Activity Research under Bender Klalon Peterson. Um, and it was, again, a good timing since at the time they were sort of looking to expand the role uh, or the group that they had at the time, which was purely preclinical. And, and sort of build a clinical program sort of in, in continuation of Penilla's work. So, uh, so I started as a postdoc there five years ago now and uh, sort of been working to, to establish the group that, uh, that is now sort of running the, the clinical cancer program here at, at CFAS. And you're somewhat modest in, in talking about the work you've done in that time frame. I mean, it's just phenomenal to, to see what you've done over the past five to seven years and really contributing to understanding in different types of cancer and how exercise can help across or might help across the cancer continuum? Well, I think, um, you know, it's, again, it starts with it. I felt at least at about 10 years ago that, that this field was completely open. I think back to, to reading some of the first papers, uh, that I was handed and and thinking, you know, this is this is almost just a blank, you know, whiteboard that that needs to be filled out. And and obviously it's not completely true. There 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 were at the time, and there there certainly has been uh, in in the time frame since then uh, a lot of interest in sort of um, people going really in depth into the the physiological. Um, 
possible interaction with cancer treatment, exercise, and and so on and so forth. Um, but but it, it felt at the time as if you know you could more or less ask any question, and and, it, and nobody would have looked at it. Uh, uh, and and uh, so 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 it almost became uh, more a an, an exercise in 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 sort of narrowing in your uh, your your interest and 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 so for my my PhD project became very focused on resistance training in relation to chemotherapy uh, induced muscle deterioration and and into to to even biopsy related uh, data outcome or, or outcome measures and uh, and and I mean uh, just just the simple fact that 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 hadn't at the time at least been done before was was kind of sufficient because yeah, I mean, I came from the from the exercise physiology background, where we're typically happy with our 15 plus 15 uh, uh, type of studies, and uh, had to learn the hard way how uh, that completely naive uh, approach, as soon as you go into a clinical population, particularly undergoing treatments of different kinds, which not only, of course, has has massive impact on on their overall systemic physiology, but but also just has a huge um, sort of variation in the response to this. Uh, so, so obviously, ending up with with a study that was, uh, to say the least, underpowered, and uh, but but still uh, was able to generate some some new data that hadn't been done seen before, and so generated some interest in the field as well, and and also gathered interest of 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 some of the more clinical journals which which i found uh, sort of really really satisfactory that you know it wasn't it wasn't uh, just for the exercise uh, enthusiasts it was actually also for the clinicians uh, and, and so on now you've kind of moved or you're, you're starting to move into this prehab space and tell us a little bit about how you got to this point and what you've got going on right now yeah it's uh, it's interesting again how certain certain paths develop in in regard to so to 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 these things uh, i would love to say that it was just you know the big strategic plan from the start but but it really wasn't um so so when i started here at cfas uh, we were actually interested uh, mostly in colorectal cancer and we're looking at a much more um pragmatic types of interventions and, and much more, should we say, sort of public health related uh, traditional rehab kind of programs uh, within uh, a group of patients that at least at the time, uh, a lot of people around the world were kind of um, sort of they, they, they were they were given this the, these experiences at meetings in different places that it was very tricky to get colorectal cancer patients involved in studies and Paradoxically, it, it when they did have them, they actually had you know fairly good effects and so on. So so that was really where it started. And then, just because we coincidentally talked to surgeons here at uh, our own hospital who don't actually see these uh, early stage colorectal cancer patients, but they were just going to uh, be the link to other to other departments. Um, there was actually a friend of mine who just out of nowhere said, you know, why don't you have a look at esophageal cancer because you can actually train them before surgery and you can get tumor samples. And uh, Penilla and I were, were at the time saying, well, that's exactly actually what we want to look at. We, we just had the data um, being put together for, for the cell metabolism paper that came out a year or two later. Uh, on on immune cell infiltration and and uh, immune cell mobilization and infiltration uh, in mice and and obviously the the, the interest in uh, next step in that would be to take uh, into to a human setting so 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 we were just you know felt almost just like this is this is too good to be true we can actually get these patients and and uh, and move from there so that was that was the the way in and and then it just um and it was maybe a week before we had a big grant deadline that we were able to sort of put this study in, in esophageal cancer patients in there. And luckily it got funded and we were able to initiate it. And, um, and, and then this really, really strong collaboration with the Department of Surgical Gastroenterology uh, here at our hospital just sort of took off. And, 
we immediately had high recruitment rates and, and, and in a group of patients, again, at the time, there wasn't that uh, much included in the exercise literature. So, so there was some novelty as well. Um, and, 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 and simply uh, just saw a really a niche here where, where we felt this, there was both a, a very, very good sort of patient uh, angle on it and, and, and an area where, where not that much had been done. So, uh, so that was kind of our way into it. And, uh, and, and I mean, it, it, it builds on from there with regard to the, uh, to, 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 to the interest from the clinicians, both, both the surgeons and the, uh, and the nurses, uh, that was involved in, in that in the very beginning. Um, I don't think we would have, continue to this extent if if uh, or develop or advance this program if if they hadn't really sort of uh, bought into the idea uh, early on um so 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 that was that was sort of our practical uh, approach or should we say sort of the logistical way in um and then it was a matter again of all of a sudden discovering that there was there's some interesting questions here there are some um there, there are some very valid and, and, and intriguing hypotheses around the possible uh, treatment-specific role of exercise in that uh, preoperative, as in, in, in the interaction or in the building up to, to particular surgery that was really, really important or potentially really important. Uh, and uh, so, so again, the, the, the initiation was somewhat a coincidence, but it just again turns out that here there was uh, there was there was just an area where where we could where we could really feel like we we did uh, something new and something really potentially important. Um, so so we're so we're simply yeah worked from there and expanded a little bit uh, on on uh, our sort of more theoretical background as to why we think this could be, um, and uh, and and our. I would say starting sort of seriously now to try to to proceed uh, or try to um, pursue some of these ideas in 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 the trials. So, what are the the kind of prevailing hypotheses, or what what do people think, or why should people look at this um, in this context? Yeah. So, so, so first, I think it's a I think it's important that to sort of uh, define what we actually mean when we talk about um, sort of exercise. And the exercise in the role, both with regard to rehabilitation and, I guess, prehabilitation. Um, essentially, uh, re I think we, particularly in the exercise fields, have a tendency to use the terms more or less as synonyms um, to say that we're doing exercise research or rehabilitation research. And if we do preoperative exercise, then we're doing prehabilitation. Uh, and I think we're kind of short selling actually both um, by by using them in this manner, uh, because if we look at, at the, the sort of established definitions, it's it, I mean, in, in a rehabilitation context and for most people today, they would say rehabilitation starts at diagnosis which would then inherently mean prehabilitation is sort of already covered in early rehabilitation. But that's very much to do with loss of function. It's very much to do with uh, either protecting from the loss of function or regaining the loss of function, uh, both from, from a physical uh, perspective or from a psychosocial perspective. Um, and, and traditionally, I think that's, that's where we've seen exercise uh, sort of, I guess, in parallel to rehabbing from a niche surgery or something like that. Um, and, but but there's also a lot of more that goes into the rehabilitation uh, measures and therefore also the prehabilitation measures that that are ongoing. Um, so 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 certainly exercise doesn't sort of stand alone in that in that manner. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think we're also potentially short selling exercise a little bit by only viewing it through. The possible involvement in a multimodal rehabilitation or prehabilitation program, uh, because we certainly have some initial data to indicate that these sort of physiological permutations that follows acute and, and somewhat also chronic exercise training sort of are uh, has 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 a. Um, has has sort of direct potential impact on 
tumor biology on potential interaction with, with standard treatments, that uh, if we sort of only view through this uh, need-based patient choice, uh, individualized uh, rehabilitation lens, then we might end up not actually benefiting completely from, from these potential effects. Um, so, so it's not that uh, exercise doesn't play a role in, in re or prehab, but it certainly has, um, it has potential to be more than that, I would say, or have the potential to have additional effects than that. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, or we are uh, very much uh, sort of focused on the more direct treatment-specific uh, effects and implications of, of more sort of targeted exercise uh, training um, on treatment-specific endpoints uh, as opposed to the more, the more general or more holistic uh, rehabilitation approach. Um, and, and I think in... Um, particularly in in the preoperative setting, this this is uh, very very uh, this is a good setting to 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 sort of address this because um, it is sort of by definition a, a very a, typically a relatively short period. It's typically a period where uh, patients are actually quite willing to to or asking you know what can I do for this uh, particular um, period where I'm awaiting surgery or whatever. And, um, and so, yeah, I think, I, I think there's a, there's an overlap there of if, if the interest really is on the more um, treatment specific effects uh, on cancer specific outcomes, then this, then this setting is, is, uh, is quite interesting. Um, and uh, it, it, it holds potentially a, a yeah, some 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 more and some other um, perspectives to, to 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 what it can be in that in that way. You're really doing a good job of separating why you're interested in in clinical clinically relevant outcomes or cancer related outcomes, as opposed to typically when we talk about prehab, we kind of naturally go towards well, maybe you recover quicker and maybe you get out of hospital quicker. Um, and you gave me some great insight into some of the challenges of this. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some of the challenges with picking hospital length? Well, first of all, I think it's very important to say that 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 one is not more important than the other. It's just very much two different perspectives and two sort of different frameworks from which you can work with exercise, and 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 both are definitely important and 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 potentially needed uh, with regard to that. But I think you're right that. Uh, the traditional approach from the prehab field is that we are uh, sort of training to the to training to the marathon, so to speak, uh, to training to get through a major operation and or major surgery, and then um, we expect and some have shown that uh, we can lower risk of complications and we can we can recover quicker and and so on. Um, so forth, and I think that's very valid. And 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 the point, I guess, from that is that, uh, you know, in that setting, exercise is typically not just one modality that that needs to be addressed. That's probably nutrition, psychosocial support, uh, potentially smoking cessation. There might also be various drug treatments that needs to be uh, included as well. So 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 it's kind of of one framework. Um, but but from the other side of of, of saying well, it it may actually directly or um, uh, affect uh, outcomes which can can be related to to both the chances of actually being having an operation and, and getting through that operation uh, with a with a good surgical outcome uh, and also on a more long term basis uh, which we can can talk about a bit more. Um, but but it's true. Some of the more traditional outcomes are, are somewhat uh, tricky, at least um, within certain uh, settings. So so when we started this, we were, uh, as you say, it was that was the the, um, the clinical background for doing this. We know there were observational data that showed uh, muscle strength or fitness uh, was was clear and independently uh, associated with with. The, complication risk and, and hospitalizations uh, and and some initial work particularly in lung cancer had seen this uh, this that, that you could actually lower lower this risk and, and shorten this this uh, post-operative stay um, 
I, I was a little bit disillusioned, I guess, when we sort of had data from our first uh, couple of, uh, of, of sort of pilot uh, studies here, because uh, essentially we had to do with a very, very specialized and, and should we say sort of optimized uh, surgical department, which is very, very good for the patients. Uh, but essentially they have pretty much tweaked sort of tweaked every single um, uh, variable and optimized uh, with a lot of the work that has been going in regard to um, to, to enhance recovery after surgery, ERAS care, and and uh, it essentially had du hospital duration so short that it was almost uh, it, it was almost illogical that we were able to 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 impact that. But also the, the these outcomes were sort of influenced by so many other factors. It wasn't in any way a a, a clear algorithm that said, you know, discharge on day seven if A, B, and Z. It was much more fluent and and it became difficult to kind of link those dots together to say, okay, we could improve muscle strength prior to surgery, therefore potentially after surgery, and therefore a quicker discharge. Um, because it could be a matter of whether or not you go home on a Friday or a Monday, and that would be three days. And that could all of a sudden sort of twist twist that entire uh, analysis quite quite substantially. Um, and similarly with with you know the the choice of the the clinical evaluation of patients whether they were actually operable or not was also I mean much more subjective uh, or much more um, just a just a, a, a personal um, discussion and choice between the surgeon and the patient where it's very difficult to say that you know if patient has this intervention he would he or she he would definitely be operable or not. Um, so, so a lot of outcomes are sort of beyond our control in that, uh, and also we had to 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 sort of uh, deal with that again. Surge, this major surgery. There's a lot of other agendas ongoing there, particularly with anesthesiology and 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 some of the ERAS projects that that was being implemented. So, so so there could be a lot of different other. Um, research projects or studies or agendas ongoing, some in, in protocolized projects, some more as part of implementation uh, that we didn't really have any any say over. Uh, so so again, the, 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 no, the noise and the data can be quite substantial. Um, and and also from a from a purely trial perspective, not stepping over anybody's toes or or making anyone uh, angry that you're all of a sudden interfering with with a patient group prior to surgery. That sort of that in itself uh, could could pose some challenges as well, for sure. So given that there can be a really short uh, period of time between or before uh, treatment, and you're looking at a prehab space. What do you think about the interaction between, um, you know, acute responses to to exercise versus kind of chronic adaptations, and how either of those, you know, play into you know the role of rehab? Well, uh, you're absolutely right that uh, many places, and I know a lot of actually a few studies, even from our uh, from our institution, has looked at uh, the possible role of preoperative exercise or prehabilitation uh, in various settings and concluded that it simply couldn't be done. So in Denmark, we have sort of politically uh, stated cancer plans that uh, guarantees certain timelines have to be have to be met. And, and from from the diagnosis set, uh, it's very rarely more than than two or three or four weeks. Um, before before surgery or before at least treatment is in um, is commenced um, and and clearly from a from a trial perspective getting hold of the patients getting you know giving them time to think about whether they want to be in a study and and then trying to intervene during that period can be tricky in itself um, but um, from I would I would say from a uh, what has really sort of opened up the 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 idea that this could be really interesting is that I guess for the part for the for the major part of my time working in in um, in exercise and cancer uh, 
we as a field have have focused more or less exclusively on can exercise um, interact beneficially with systemic treatments or with radiotherapy, for instance, sort of a more prolonged treatment modality. And the surgery has sort of have been have pretty much just been used as kind of a starting point. Um, and and it has been not until the last few years that that I have at least been sort of made aware of, of a growing body of research suggesting that this perioperative period can be really, really critical, not only for the risk of long-term, uh, sorry, short-term complications and, and discharge and, and return to, to daily activities and so on, but actually has potentially a, a role in, in long-term disease um, reoccurrence. Uh, and uh, and that a lot of the, the physiological responses to surgery is actually also potentially promoting um, tumor cell growth and metastasize and uh, metastasizing. So 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 that's where uh, I think just within the last few years um, we've sort of start to think about. Does these very uh, acute and quite substantial um, response that we we can induce with a single or just a few exercise bouts, uh, which are there are a lot of the same mechanisms or a lot of the same signaling molecules uh, are involved, uh, does that somehow has the potential to 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 interact with these? intraoperative or perioperative processes where tumor cells are potentially being primed by the surgical stress response and inflammation, uh, stress hormones and so on to, to, to become potentially more aggressive uh, and, and have a higher um, sort of affinity for, for, for metastasizing elsewhere in the body and, and can exercise be used in that manner um, to, to kind of modulate that response. Uh, and and that's where I think all of a sudden maybe we shouldn't be too concerned that uh, a two or three or four week period is not sufficient uh, to 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 give us these kind of standard uh, responses we want to look at with regard to cardiorespiratory fitness or or our muscle mass, but but we can potentially buy a few uh, well designed uh, bouts of exercise. Implicate or induce different regulatory mechanisms with regard to immune cells, with regard to um, hematological changes, uh, and and other that that potentially could play a role in 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 this response. So, when you talk about um, well-designed um, exercise sessions, let's chat about that. Um, you know, given that you know a lot of people will be coming to you probably untrained. And you've got this tiny window that you have to work with them. How how are you? What are the challenges you've seen in in terms of program design, in maybe getting people up to speed in their exercise programs and designing it that way? That's a very good question, and and I I I I don't have a sort of a very clear and and you know this is how to do it answer. Um, I think we, as much as anyone, start out with, with our basic uh, ideas of, of how we should, um, how we, how we want to design a good, uh, a good training intervention and uh, look at, is that feasible? Is that, is that doable for these patients? Um, and in the sense, in the case where they have ongoing neoadjuvant treatment, we obviously have a whole other different concerns uh, to work with. Um, but uh, I, I guess, um, from my view, it's, it, it's about turning the question slightly around and say, what mechanisms do we think uh, could potentially be involved if we say, you know, this is the hypothesis that we can protect either uh, lower the surgical stress response, which we think is critical in this sort of early uh, transition of tumor cells, potentially early metastatic process uh, happening in parallel with, with, with the, you know, with the primary tumor developing. Um, can we, what, what, what mechanisms do we think is, is actually driving this? Uh, and, and what, 
um, what evidence do we have that that different exercise prescriptions or different exercise program could potentially um, could potentially be be um, a regulator of some of these mechanisms. Um, so, so to give an example, we were obviously early on very interested in in saying, well, we think that it is the mobilization and redistribution of immune cells that has a tumor suppressive effect. Um, so, so in this case, we we want uh, if we think that is that is where the uh, the effect lies, then the programs we should uh, focus on should probably be um, optimizing how how we can um, how we can mobilize a high concentration of immune cells to the system, and potentially that would uh, that that would drive a, a beneficial a beneficial effect in that manner. Uh, so 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 in that case, we we would do initial work in just simply saying. Um, uh, is it is it is it more effective? Or does it does it induce a better response uh, to do our our sort of standard hit, uh, hit interval training um, or more continuous training? And, and not surprisingly, we saw immune cell mobilization, which has been shown earlier, to be very much intensity dependent and doesn't really increase beyond the first 15 to, to, to 20 minutes. Uh, so, so from that aspect to say, if, if that's the direction that we want to go, then, then perhaps more sessions of shorter duration eliciting this, this acute maximum response of immune cells. Uh, and then the next question is, how long do we have before that pool is sort of replenished, and we can do the next bout and get the and get the next similar response? Um, so, so it's more from from that perspective. Say, if, if we want to look at what 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 a response or what mechanisms are potentially driving the effect that we're interested in, and design the the uh, the intervention accordingly. It, it's it's really interesting to to kind of think about it from the outcome perspective in trying to um, facilitate an immune response through exercise and design the program around that because if that's going to be the hypothesis, that's what you're trying to to change. Um, again, coming back to kind of the acute versus chronic. Um, how long? How many bouts before you start to see? You know, if if immune cell mobilization is, is occurring after acute exercise and it's coming back to baseline soon thereafter do you think that's going to be time dependent then in in people who have six weeks of this are going to be in a better position than have two weeks of it well the question is of course the in from the in the preoperative setting even if uh, and and we haven't actually showed that yet but uh we're that's it, certainly a hypothesis we're chasing that uh, we know from mouse studies that if we exercise a mouse, they will increase their sort of overall immune cell population in different tissues. So with every exercise bout, the immune cells will go to the system and then it will, or it will go to the bloodstream. And from there, it will go to peripheral tissues and do whatever they do. Um, and we can sort of see that when we, as we can do in a mouse, take out different tissues and and, and measure the level of, of immune cells from start to um, from start to, to 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 finish of say four weeks of of running wheel intervention or something like that. What we can also see is when we give that mouse a tumor, all the immune cells go to the tumor, and it go it doesn't go to the sort of normal tissues. Um, and, and so it's it again it's the it's it's the natural question does that happen in in um, in patients uh, that is we have a few studies that have tried to to design it's designed around that and, and tried to explain that uh, it's very very difficult to 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 measure and the heterogeneity is very big in in, in humor tumors in human tumors but um, from 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 the perspective of you know uh, can we actually uh, can we actually see that response uh, to 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 begin with um, yeah well the, the short answer we don't know um, and the next question is is does that even matter so the first so the first uh, question I got back from the surgeon when we said 
we want to do this study. We want to see if, if natural killer cells are accumulating in the tumors. And he asked me, the tumor I just cut out? Well, fine, that's fine. You can do that. But why do you care about that? Um, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a preoperative setting, we also know that immune surveillance around, say, you know, the, 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 the surgical incisions and the wound healing and stuff like that could potentially be critical to the, to the stress response and how the system in overall sort of responds to that. Uh, so, so it's probably more on, the, do you actually sort of just boost your entire immune profile, perhaps during that short period with just a few, and uh, when I say a few, maybe it's, we don't know uh, how many sessions you probably need, but um, it, is that enough to kind of, to, to boost the immune system's ability to to handle the surgical stress response and potentially thereby uh, minimizing this this pro uh, metastatic uh, ongoing process that happens at the same time. Um, so so uh, can we can we can we get to that with with say two weeks of just pushing as much exercise as we can in to during that period or or is it uh, is it required that we do at least a 48 hour uh, washout period if you will after a strenuous bout uh, of exercise to to have sort of the stores replenished to to uh, to, to to give it another boost it's uh, we we don't know that but that's that's some of the work that i think is um, is, is is fascinating to to dig into and see if we can if we can get more uh, or more sort of dots connected in that in that manner. So a couple of more questions on the prehab stuff before we move on. Um, one is a little far fetched, but we'll, we'll give it a bash. So from my ignorant understanding, um, the process that EMT or the growth and metastases of of tumor cells, you know, is not a is not a quick process and is kind of generally, you know, fostered over time. So with that in mind, if someone were to come to you and say, okay, given a four to six week recovery point from colorectal surgery before you're back to activity, will it matter if you have those eight weeks of prior exercise or not? If we can start exercising four weeks later and still get some sort of positive immune and inflammatory response and potentially buffer the, the growth and metastases that way versus chucking another thing on top of the stress of all the treatments and things like that? Well, yeah, um, there's, there's certainly, um, there's certainly also a, a reason behind this, uh, or there's certainly also an argument or, 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 or data to suggest that you, more potentially more effectively can can deal with interventions that um, in sort of inhibits the 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 formation and growth of metastases post surgery. Uh, so so work in breast cancer has shown that bifosphate you know treatment can can more than half or lower the the, the risk of bone metastases, uh, even though it has at least to my knowledge, no anti-tumor effect whatsoever. It's about making making the, uh, the the peripheral tissues, or in this case, the bone, more sort of uh, resistant to 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 the invasion of tumor cells. Um, I certainly think that if we if we if we take the the bigger look at the possible survival. Uh, benefits or, or mortality benefits of, of, of exercising cancer. Uh, there's certainly reason to say to, to, to look at how how does how does exercise impact those different high high risk tissues where we know uh, metastases are most likely to, to form in the bones and the liver and the lungs and so on. Um, I and I don't I don't think that in any way uh, sort of um, conflicts with also looking at the sort of initial idea that uh, tumor cells during this very acute uh, response to surgery potentially are released and transitioned to, to the bloodstream and from there uh, also potentially develop a more aggressive, a bit more aggressive phenotype. Uh, and therefore, 
working with that angle to say, you know, it's this seeding process that we potentially can can impact prior to uh, prior to surgery, and then potentially this soiling effect where the where the tumor cells go and whether or not they metastasize, uh, we potentially can lower in in the in the weeks or or, or months or years even after surgery. Uh, so, so it's certainly part of a continuum, and and most likely it shouldn't be one or the other. Uh, I would I would imagine, um, but we did some fascinating we did some fascinating studies in 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 uh, in a in a breast cancer cell line where we incubated uh, breast cancer cells with uh, serum taken just before and just after a, a bout of exercise and showed as others have shown that it lowered the cell viability with about 10%. So, so pretty consistent. We, we did see this, uh, this idea that, you know, one bout of exercise was, was kind of a, a hitting, hitting the tumor cells on the head and, and making them grow a little bit slower. Um, what was really fascinating was that incubating them in this exercise condition serum uh, when we subsequently took those uh, tumor cells and injected them into mice, they were about so so essentially it, about half the risk of the mice developing tumors, uh, indicating that it somehow fundamentally changed the tumor cells' ability to 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 in this case you would say seed and soil and form new uh, and, and and form a tumor. Uh, so so in that experiment. The mice did not have access to a running wheel, so it wasn't an exercise training effect we saw or a training effect in the mice. It was simply this preconditioning of the tumor cells using exercise condition serum that that led to this worsened worsened sort of metastatic process. Uh, and that's where, for me, this this idea that potentially you can do something with very short duration or in a very short time frame. Uh, that can impact these uh, residual tumor cells that are most likely still there in the system once once the tumor has been resected, and potentially lower the risk of those tumor cells uh, forming metastases or forming new tumors. So, with with all we've kind of chatted about with this area, uh, what do you think are the kind of important steps, next steps in this line of research, or where do you see this field going in the area of, of prehab in particular? Well, I think that, that again, that very much depends on the um, on, on on the setting through which we're 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 talking. Um, I think um, I think there's a lot of really interesting work going on. I think it's a field that's emerging for sure, uh, and I think it's a field where we can benefit from not necessarily having to to invent everything from zero and 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 using some of the the experiences that 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 I think we've learned over the last maybe 20 years. In, 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 the, in the general field of, of exercise and cancer. So I think it's all about essentially asking, you know, what, what are the main sort of clinically important outcomes that, that we want to improve and, and kind of build our, our projects and our rationales and, and potentially the mechanisms that we're interested in elucidating, building that around that. Um, so, so from where I see it, we, we, we have a very interesting line of, of, of um, of, uh, of projects that will focus a lot on whether exercise in the preoperative setting can can somehow improve on patient operability and resectability. So, in the setting, are there patients who are not uh, able to get surgery either because they are too weak or? Um, do they have tumors that are non-resectable and therefore need some kind of systemic treatment beforehand? Uh, and, and, and how does exercise sort of factor into getting particularly weak, elderly, frail patients to surgery, uh, and in particular in settings where we, where we prescribe neoadjuvant treatment? Uh, so I think that's one area where, where the preoperative exercise uh, setting is, is is really interesting and where i think over the last over the next uh, five ten years i think we'll see some some fascinating stuff in 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 that um i still think we're we have some work to do with um elucidating if we can somehow improve surgical tolerance as in 
can we lower this complication risk? Now, there are some data that indicate that, um, but, but I think it definitely differs from type of surgery uh, or across different surgeries. Um, and in particularly the more complex ones in sort of the upper GI uh, area is, is, a little bit, is a little bit conflicting. Um, so, so I still think we have some work to do in that and say, you know, can we, in particularly the, the, the quite serious uh, complications, um, anastomotic leakages, uh, pneumonia, stuff like that, uh, which we know are, are the really challenging ones uh, from the patients and, and the, the surgeon's perspective. Um, so that, that's kind of a second area where, where I think we probably have the strongest data at the moment, but there's still, there's still a lot to do. And I think finally, as we talked about, this sort of fascinating idea that we perhaps with even just a short intervention prior to surgery, maybe we're able to, to modulate um, tumor biology or tumor cells, uh, which potentially eventually will become residual tumor cells, uh, perhaps lowering their capability to, to, to form metastases uh, after surgery, sort of a, in a more long-term uh, perspective. And, um, and, and I think that's, a, that's just a whole new area where uh, I think there will be different approach. I think we need good preclinical models to study that. So, so mice models where we're able to, to surgically remove a primary tumor and then investigate what happens after that. Um, and also identifying clinical settings where, where we, we can potentially uh, look at a relatively short preoperative intervention and have within a realistic time frame have sort of recurrence and, and mortality data uh, that can shed some light on this. Um, so, so, so I see sort of sort of different different uh, approaches to advancing this, but but definitely uh, a lot of exciting work to be done. It's really cool to see how many different avenues there are to really look at um, the potential for exercise, and I think the the getting people fit enough to surgery is really fascinating. Um, as is you know reducing um, complications and then potentially influencing recurrence you've definitely got your your work cut out for you as a career <laughs> but I, I wish you well and i really um i'm excited to to keep following your work and um you know keep up with everything you're doing